Now, our guest tonight is the man who originated Superman. He has written all of Superman's exploits since this idol of millions made his first public appearance. He's Mr. Jerry Siegel. Good evening, Mr. Siegel. Good evening, Fred. So you are the man behind Superman, Mr. Siegel. Uh, no, I'm just one of the men, Fred. I write the situations and the dialogue, and the strip is drawn by my collaborator, Joe Schuster. Hey, everybody. This is Petey from the Spinner Rack, and today I want to do a video on the creation of Superman, right? And you're saying, we've done that. We've done tons of videos on that. We have our official uh, Superman guy who's done many videos, which I, I say go out there and watch them. But there's another aspect of this creator's rights, this sort of thing that people talk about, especially now with Winter Soldier and um, What's the other character, America Chavez, and a late, you know, a 2000 thing where, you know, you have a derivative character that's connected to an original character, which doesn't lend you to getting any money usually. And then you have America Chavez, which is a creation, but at the same time, Marvel wasn't handing out 4% deals anymore. You know, they were owning the creations at that period, right? So, um ultimately i want to also talk about which is the major thing which you see in the title is that um jerry siegel cursed the superman movie now this would be a i am not spock moment for many fans right and for many historians right because if you think of i am i am i am not spock he was kind of had this Leonard nimoy had this um kind of hate period between him and the Paramount people, the people who owned Star Trek that were using his likeness. They were, um, you know, putting him out as the bad guy, that he was a truculent one, this, that, and the other. When he, you know, they were very tough on him as an actor, basically saying they would fire him over anything, right? So ultimately in the end of Star Trek and it being following him along and him fighting with Paramount, he wrote, I am not Spock and fans. He was the bad, he was the bad Star Trek um, actor up until um, what was it William Shatner did the Saturday Night Live skit, um, you know, get a life, and then the fans, and then the his peers kind of turned on William Shatner. William Shatner is the bad one, right? So you can see all those years where it went from one person being bad to the other one being. And, People kind of jump and ship to that, right? So we have these books. I pointed out this one here, right? No, this one here because we just did Mort Wessinger. And in this thing here, it mainly, it mostly talks about Mort Wessinger, right? It's like basically this Krypton Companion is basically about a love letter to Mort Wessinger and all of the things that happened under his time. And the same with this, this would have the slant, like even though this is a good book and it's um, it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's not as in depth, but at the same time, there's a slant to say basically, Jerry Siegel and um, Joe Schuster created this character, right? They created it on their own outside of um, national um, publications, right? And at the same time, a lot of other things with Superman came from, I think, the radio, even though um, I think what Wesker takes credit for Kryptonite and um, 
and flying when I think I think both of those came from the radio show. Um, but a lot of other things were added and there's some things that added by Edmund Hamilton. I think he did the Legion. I think uh, Otto Binder created a lot of stuff, but a lot of stuff he was creating was kind of giving the, you know, Superman, the Superman family, similar to the Captain Marvel family, right? But there's this feeling that we had these two guys that lucked up on this character. DC took a chance or National took a chance on them. It was a success, you know, and it could have been a failure and forgotten like everything else, but National put their money behind it. And then they paid them to produce a comic book. And then at some point, you know, when the Superboy thing happened and they felt their rights were, you know, was uh, it Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster's rights were um, you know, infringed upon, they sued and that led them into fall from favor at DC. And ultimately, you know, Jerry Siegel would come back to write Superman. And at some point he's going after people look at it like he was gone from writing Superman because of, um, you know, falling from favor as a, you know, someone from the past. And then next thing you know, we hear him cursing out the Superman movie, right? So I guess we should deal with that first, right? We're going to try to go through this thing here. Because it's very, I was surprised when I, because I've done a couple Legion thing and I was going to do another one, but I'm waiting for this other book to come in about the Legion outpost. So I'm not going to do that now, but it's coming, right? So I'm going to try to give you this passage because they have this nice article on um, Jerry Siegel, right? Oh, well, look, before I go to that, that's going to have this. I said this is mostly about, um, mostly about, um, I'm jumping around. I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying to it's hard to be stay focused. Mostly about more Wessinger and everything that happened into the seventies and with um with um, um Julie Schwartz and then going into you know the end of the end of the um before crisis type of thing, right? So, but in this they do have the original four page plot to the death of Superman, right? Now even though it wasn't the same, they did do a Death of Superman in the um, in in the '90s. Now, if you remember, with the Burn Run, a lot of old stories were redone in new fashions, and that we kind of taken that springboard of doing the death in their own way and having the playing out the mourning period. Um, there's also All Star Superman, which takes the framework of this plot that. You know, Luthor doesn't actually um, get, you know, get rehabil rehabilitated, but he has this plan to kill Superman, right? And, but in All-Star Superman, Superman kind of knows it. So it's kind of his goodbye to Metropolis. Different from, you know, whatever happened to Man of Tomorrow, that's a goodbye to the whole uh, Silver Age, um, like those that were out there, right? So, but they do have this. So it is... It's not a large thing about um, Jerry Siegel in this. They do have this plot, which is worth it. It's a very good book still. But all right, well, let's get to the heart of the matter, right? Because this is going to feed the fire, initially feed the fire of um, um, the bitterness and why. But most people, the slant is that if he wasn't bitter, somehow DC would have played ball 
helped him out on their own, but he kept kind of pushing it back and kept going to the press, saying all this stuff. And, um, you know, there's some points, and this would prove that he did say that, but it would lead you to not really think of what's going on here, right? So I'm going to, because we're going to get back to this point here later, but let's see, try, I'll try, oh, I should use these guys, right? Joe's partially blind. My health is not good. We are both 61 years old. Most of our lives during Superman's great success has been spent in want. As far as Joe and I are concerned, we have been victimized by evil men and a selfish evil company which callously, which callously ruined us and appeared to be willing to abandon us in our old age, though our creation Superman has made and continues to make millions for them. And then this is in the, what's a couple letter that said, I, Jerry Siegel, co the co-originator of Superman, put a curse on the Superman movie. I hope it super bombs. <laughs> and I hope Superman fans stay away from it in droves. I hope the whole world become aware of the stench that surrounds Superman and will avoid the movie like the plague. Why am I putting a curse on this movie based on my creation of Superman? Because the cartoonist Joe Schuster and I, who co-originated Superman together, will not get one cent from the Superman super movie deal. The publishers of Superman comic book, national periodical publications, killed my days, murdered my nights, choked my happiness, strangled my career. I consider national executives economic murderers, money mad monsters, if they and the executives of Warner Communications, which owns National, had consciences, you would write the wrongs inflicted on Joe and me. They curse on a Superman movie. So, with that said, seems pretty bad, huh? And let's add some fuel to the fire, right? But this, no, actually, in truth, because this. This is hard. This is a harder one to go through because there's also comments from Byrne, John Byrne, who did Man of Steel, who on um, talking about creators' rights, right? And his angle was something that I kind of agreed with at a point, because, hey, you know, you sign this deal, you know, um, if it, it changes then what can you do? It's a hard thing. And you would hope like the same way, um, you know, like Oprah didn't have her own show, didn't own it, no pun intended. And at some point, because of her success, the company is willing to play ball, you know, sell her the rights to her show. And she becomes this multimillionaire. I'm not sure if she's a billionaire, but she's um, raking in the dough, right? So we would hope it was like that, but the way business kind of works, if you're kind of putting out a bunch of ideas, you know, you're, you're, you're failing as much as you're succeeding. So you're putting out a bunch of ideas and at the same time that all of this stuff fails, but one is succeeding, your cost of doing business is that factor. But, Okay, not get into that. I'm still not ready to get into that yet, right? So we go to John Byrne. He did this thing called a guest spot, talking about creators' rights, right? And I'm gonna quickly go through it. Basically, he's talking about you know he's happy that they getting money for Superman, right? And DC becomes the you know the 
the villainous national conglomerate and that times you know at, at times but at the same time so he said they basically get on the question of creative right and did they deserve a um pension right so he said on purely human level were sushi siegel and schuster entitled to the pensions the answer is yes of course but on any other level sorry the answer is a big fat no they may have been two little dumb hicks from the Midwest, unfamiliar with the machinations of the public, you know, publishing industry of the late 1930s. They were also created a single character whom the rest of us have created an entire industry. But the fact remains that the character had been generally rejected. The Bell Syndicate said it had no lasting appeal. When the infant DC took the risk and brought the idea from Siegel Shoes and don't be fooled by the paltry sum they were paid, generally reported something under $200. That was a lot of money, money in 1938, right? So talking about the, Burn goes into talking about the creator's rights and wrongs and this, that, and the other. Sorry to say, in two books, at least, in this one here, and this one here, well, no, I'm going to go to where I figured some parts out. There's an interview of um, a parade where Superman is introduced into the parade, right? So you have that framework that um, people feel that, feel that um, with a little bit of money they got with, with um, the fake, basically, all the risk was on national and they lucked up on a company and by luck they hit a big and now you know not appreciating what what um national had done for them which is not true right naturally um national wasn't in a way of appreciative initially of what they did right because once they realized there was a hit, right? Jerry Siegel came and asked for a raise, right? And when he asked for a raise, he got this from the company, right? From Jack Leibowitz. And he said, frankly, when I got through reading your letter, it took my breath away. I did not anticipate that when you asked to come to New York to discuss this matter of newspaper syndication, that you would try to take advantage, you'd want to take advantage of this visit to boost your price on Superman. You grossly exaggerated the importance of Superman. But don't forget there are 64 pages in the magazine and there isn't any magazine being published today that can, can sell on the basis of one feature. Whether it is Popeye, Mickey Mouse, or uh, I thought for the moment that our magazine depended on your strip, I would certainly make every effort to avoid such situations, right? Only 30% have designated Superman as their favorite. The balance seems scattered amongst our other features in the magazine. So come off your high horse, right? They're talking about him having a swell head, all this other stuff. History has proven Jack Leibowitz wrong, right? That his importance was justified, right? So this terrible letter that they wrote back, pushing back, but at some point, as stated here, 
in this the article and in this book, they participated not just in a, a, a monthly salary. They participated with DC, with National on stuff like, you know, the, I guess the newspaper strip. And they were saying they're making up to, I guess it was like 30, 30 grand a year in what everything that they had going on for Superman, right? So it was, it was more than, it wasn't, it was similar, you know, it was a studio situation. They had a art studio that Joe Schuster run, ran in Cleveland. And at the same time, you know, um, C was the, the, the lead writer on and did most of the writing. So they had this thing and he also was, the, he was the Mort Wessinger of the time. Even though he had um, Jack Leibowitz, he had, you know, he had to run things to um, Whitney Ellsworth. But at the same time, he was kind of the guy can be like, DC was kind of distributing it and he was kind of the face of Superman, right? So he would go, they had the parade, there's an audio interview, interview, and he presents himself as the official from DC Comics at this parade. And he talks about his superiors and he is the spokesperson. He's not negative. He is very much a gracious person he asked, they asked him every dumb, same, if you look at Burns' interview with uh, Katie Carey, oh, not Katie, is it Katie Carey? Where it's like, you know, just a Jane, just a, just a Macaulay. But if you look at that um, 86 interview where they asked him all those dumb questions, they asked Siegel every dumb question, he answers every one of them, doesn't give a, a bad response. He is a the right spokesman for Superman, right? So everyone knows the, the, the initial start of the beef became from Superboy, right? And that's where the suit came from, right? But if we go into here, you know, the thing, and they talk about it in this one too, is that um, Jerry Siegel, he had to go to the, you know, the war. Same with Mort Wessinger, they had to go. And um, in this time, the studio that Joe Schuster had, DC kind of came in and moved it to their offices. So ultimately they took over the art and also they took, they pushed, started pushing Joe Schuster out, right? But Joe Schuster, and if Jerry Siegel hadn't gone, he'd been able to protect their studio and basically be the guys producing the comic book itself. Like where DC would be the editors, like their um, editors in chief and their distributor, right? So it'd be something where they were producing a product and giving it to DC, similar to what, um, you know, I guess the Batman, what Bob Kane was doing, right? So it stands a reason why they're participating with the success of Superman, right? So with Jerry Siegel out of the picture, they move, the they, they, they somehow finagle it to get Schuster's studio to DC, and then they start pushing Joe Schuster out because obviously they realize that he has a lot of ghosts, he had a lot of people helping out, but um, even, what was it, um, what's the name, C.C. Um, Beck had a studio for um, for Captain Marvel, because they had like, what, two books going on or something like that, and all the other books that were happening. So when you look at it like that, you have this thing where they do become the evil conglomerate that kind of starts to push them out, right? And so you had this idea, now this book kind of points out that 
you know, Superboy in the original thing was different from what DC published, where it was just the same character as a boy and, and Siegel wanted to have a, you know, I guess even possibly, uh, you know, where um, Dicko described, you know, Spider-Man, so, you know, so as a teen, someone who could make mistakes, right? Where Superboy was the junior, the small version of, of Superman, right? Who rarely, who, who was smart, upstanding, um, you know, at times, I guess they had some mistakes happen, but they say he was pointing this out as a major difference in this book, which is like, I mean, come on. The idea is the idea, right? So that would lead um, Jerry Siegel to sue them. And they get kind of a settlement agreement to kind of get them away from Superman, right? This is kind of where the courts don't really work in, in, um, in um, the Superman creator's favor, right? Because they do get some money, but it's kind of saying, like really letting you know that they do not create, they have not, they have no stake in the ownership of Superman, which is kind of why they were also suing to not just, you know, to not just um, take on Kid Superboy, which they didn't, they couldn't obviously publish the Superboy comic book. So, and then they also, I mean, a lot of people try to point out that they made another comic that didn't fail, but he had, uh, Jerry Siegel had a bunch of other things like the Spectre, like stuff that he created that weren't big hits, but you know, this part of creation, right? So at this point, they're kind of after the suit, they're pushed out of DC, right? They pushed out of DC, right? And uh, cause they sued, but then I think it's just, Joseph, Jerry Siegel's wife um, was uh, Joanne. She comes to DC and she basically fights for him to get his job back. Like she comes in there and she said, do you want me to tell everyone that, you know, the creative Superman is gonna starve to death? And from that embarrassment, right? So you can say, you know, you can say they don't deserve this. DC is constantly embarrassed by um, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Joe Schuster was also uh, was a was a um, messenger in the city, which is you know kind of the entry level type job. And when DC would see him walking the thing and people would recognize him, they would curse him out and toss him some money, and then like tell him to get out, don't come back. But at times he had to drop things off at DC, and this would routinely happen, right? And I think at some point he went from buying, uh, Schuster went from buying a house for his family to living in a family member's house. So it's, you know, they, they were on hard times, right? So Jerry Siegel's wife, you know, complains to DC, DC, in, you know, a fear of embarrassment, a national fear of embarrassment, take back Jerry Siegel. And he writes a very, a lot of classic um superman stories and they talk about basically he didn't create the legion but he became one of the mainstay writers outside of sometimes when edmund hamilton came back or um i think um what did i say i said but yeah i think auto binder too but and then the gray area is why 
he was ousted and most of the time saying he kind of fell from favors shifting art writers and this that and the others fighting off marvel that sort of thing of saying we had these younger writers coming in and in here they talk about what is known as the return of copyright right for any at that point they said you had 28 years 28 years for any creation that's something that came outside of a publishing house of outside of a company something like that something that was brought to a company then the creator had the right to ask for the creation back now in history anyone that's been kind of a big corporation has been able to push back on this but ultimately it is what it is um jerry siegel and joe schuster had created the reign of Superman, they had this thing that was a strip that they had went to many companies, which would make this fall under the return of copyright thing. And they brought it to DC, something not done in their studio. And DC would put this story that was existing already. They cut up the, the newspaper strip and made it into a comic book, right? Because they were trying to sell it as a newspaper strip. And um, so this would, but for some reason, from 1966, when it came up in the question, they were in courts, they, they lost the initial case, but it was going all the way up to the Supreme Court by 1975, right? So even though they lost people like Ponta, they lost the copyright thing, they still had a case because it was something created outside of DC, right? So those copyrights go back to the creator. This is what Joe Simon had done for Captain America. That's why he has something where it says the agreement. That's why now the Siegel family has asked for Superman back a number of times because it falls under something created outside of a company. That's just what the law is. And the only thing is, is that you can fight against it is if you have a lot of money and you can push against patents like the same way the creator of the TV had to fight against RKO because RKO had made up false patents to sue the creator of the television and say, hey, we had this idea months before this guy. So with that said, in 1975, DC has appeal to him, right? They have, a, they have appealed to, um, to um, Siegel. And Siegel responds saying, why did they drop the case finally in 1975? And he said, we were induced to drop our case and not to take it to Supreme Court. But National had indicated that if we would do that, they would decide whether or not they could do something for Joe and I. So we figured that after all we've been through, we might take a gamble and just trust the generosity and the good intentions of Nationals. Many years passed away, and we perhaps thought there was a higher level of thinking there, right? So Siegel basically said, hey, this is going close to the Supreme Court. DC kind of appealed to them and they, they dropped the suit, right? But they could have gone further with it, right? The same way the Siegel's have been going through it now in the in the present day and and getting gaming a lot of ground so but then and we get back to the curse of the superman 
uh, person the Superman movie. In the months of them dropping the suit, nothing happened. DC didn't do anything for them, basically abandoned them, right? They didn't even tell them they decided against it. They just abandoned them. And then when they heard the movie, that's when Joe Jerry Siegel says what he says, right? And he, he hits hard. And um, that's when we get all the stuff. The, you know, we have, you know, Neil Adams come in and, um, you know, try to use that, but does, does the same thing that Jerry, you know, Jerry Siegel's wife at the time did appeal to DC and Jeanette Kahn and other people and the, and the Warner people saying, hey, these are the creators of Superman. Just give them something little and people will, people will um, think you guys did the good job. And they got, I think it's, I think 20,000 each as a, you know, as a pension, which wasn't bad then. And as years went on, they upped it, you know, up and, you know, they probably still get something from them, but at the same time, you know, they're now, Siegel family is now kind of putting the, you know, still fighting to get the character because this is the what the copyright law is. Copyright law is, is created outside of the, outside of a company. You have the right to get it back that someone cannot, you know, carry a creation for X amount of years forever. And that has nothing to do with public domain. This has to do with when this is why if it was a situation they gave him back after 28 years, you know, and just licensed the character to them, it would have been it would have been perfect. But anyway, with that said, the way it ends is after that point, after they figure this out, there's nothing bad said from what they did right by by um by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster finally, you know. He talks about DC and their time together, and he stays positive. But the negative energy that was for is not just because he was just a a dumb hick that wanted to make some money and felt that he was swindled. And basically, he was a partner with DC. They were gaining some profits from all the other media that was going on at the time. And DC kind of pushed in kind of with Jerry Siegel not being there, the more businessman of the operation, you know, usurping their business, bringing it to DC, and then being, and then taking their ideas that they had, that they were DC rejected, then doing it themselves, and basically saying, well, we did this, that sort of thing. And that's when they get sued. They don't really lose because the losses that, um, Jerry Siegel can't do a Superboy story outside. They do a character, funny man that doesn't make it, doesn't make it, right? And at the same time, even with Joe um, Joe Schuster's eyesight, he could have still been the art director, right? He could have stayed the art director because that's you know, and um, you know, with with the ghost artists, and um, had a part in this sort of thing because he was involved in creation. That just would have been the right thing. So. I kind of went through a lot of stuff. I'm probably going to have to figure this thing out, but I did want to do this video to kind of say this idea that either they just kind of came in with this idea, you know, uh, one in a million shot, they lucked up, and then they wanted to get, 
They signed a deal, then they wanted the deal reversed, right? When they were already participating with cause of the suit, then it's like, hey, you signed over this thing. We're cutting all this stuff off, right? So, and then if you say, hey, they did sign it away. The fact is, is that if if DC can, if if Siegel and Schuster can't, you know, they signed it away for one hundred and thirty dollars. Then when the copyright comes up. And they say it's returned, the copyright should return to the creators, then the copyright has to go back. That's what the that's what the law is. It's what it is. You didn't sign it, they never signed away the copyright return thing, which was something that was created in um, I guess not when it was created, but it was something that Jer that um Joe Simon, Paul Burglos, um Bill Everett was kind of they just gave him money because they didn't want to deal with that. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where um, Jerry Siegel was playing ball. He was the Martin Wessinger of the period, right? He was involved in a lot of the things outside of just producing comic books. He was the face of Superman. He was going out there talking to people. And then at some point when he went, goes to war doing the right thing, Right? DC kind of takes it from him, and Whitney Ellsworth becomes a guy talking to the TV people because Joe Schuster would have been the guy talking to the TV people. It's just what it would be. He would have been Mort Wessinger. He would have been that guy, right? But once they push him out, that's when I guess Whitney Ellsworth and um, Mort Wessinger, because Mort Wessinger also went to the war too, and that's how um, Jack Schliff he gets into it. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that um, is sad to say, but I had to change my opinion on it because I did feel that, um, hey, you signed a deal, that's what it is. But they had more of a deal than just creating a character and then them producing, you know, them are artist, writer, and then working for a DC editor. They were kind of, you know, it was kind of like, you know, how can I say this? Yeah, he's kind of, even though he's kind of a writer, he's kind of like Stan Lee and you have Martin Goodman, which is uh, I mean, Ellsworth. You have the people who own that. You have people that you have the Martin Goodmans. You know, Martin Goodman had no one above him. You had Jack Lewis, who wasn't actually an editor. You know, they had managing editor. So you have these levels to it, right? So I guess, you know, you got Shooter, you have Mike Hobson, who's above him, and you have the president that's above them. So. Yeah, so it's one of the things where I just wanted to say, because we've done so many videos talking about creators' rights, and Siegel and Schuster kind of come up in this thing a lot, but they can't be compared to Kirby, any of these people that were working in-house with a job within the company and doing something, whereas they were already participating in the success of Superman at some point once it really takes off at some point they got got you know he got told off by dc but and of course they were found that that's even wrong now saying that superman wasn't that important and they weren't interested in it becoming bigger than any of their other characters that were in action comics so that's that's really mainly what i wanted to talk about because hey um 
they had a deal that's not dissimilar to Batman, but they had their own studio, you know, putting books together. The books were being published. DC is their distributor. It wasn't like the um, Whitney Ellsworth is the one putting together the story, or Jack Schliff, the ones that are kind of putting the stories together. They kind of put some ghosts in there to kind of take it away. They're the ones that kind of took it away from them. So, yep, um, and fair is fair. DC owns it for 28 years. If that's fair, then the copyright law is fair of saying it needs to go back to the creators, right? Spinarak out.